0: everybody. All right, let me get my time together here. Uh, so it's good to be here. you are just getting started. I guess you guys are just getting started too. Um, I see the books are here, but I actually was only planning on reading new stuff, so sorry. I can't guarantee that it's good, you know, but you know, it's new until it's in a book. Uh, are y'all doing a Q&A? Y'all don't usually do Q&A's? Well, if you got questions, you know, just uh, raise your hand. No dumb questions. That's, that's my only request. Otherwise, I'm happy. That's what I always hated about church, that you couldn't, like, raise your hand and be like, where were the dinosaurs? <laughs> All right, okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to read. I'm going to just read, you know, for, like, 30 minutes. This is the first poem. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I, this is, like, my last month with this thing. And so there are still poems in here that I um am sure, you know am I sure about there' old poems, new poems, and then some I've only read out once or twice, so and I typically like try to end with you know a banger, but if I'm just reading straight through, I can't make any guarantees, but let's start. So this is the first one in the book. It's called What it looked like and I don't think you need to know anything um about what happens in the poem it, it's sort of you know old, dirty bastard, some people will know old dirty bastard, some will not. Well, his name says it all. If you don't know who Old Dirty Bastard is, or was, he passed away. His name says pretty much who he was. But he was young, but still Old Dirty Bastard. Dear Old Dirty Bastard, I too like it raw. I don't especially care for Duke Ellington at a birthday party. I care less and less about the shapes of shapes because forms change and nothing is more durable than feeling. My uncle used the money I gave him to buy a few vials of what looked like candy after the party where my grandma sang in an outfit that was obviously made for a West African king. My motto is never mistake what it is for what it looks like. My generosity, for example, is mostly a form of vanity. A bandana is a useful handkerchief but a handkerchief is a useless-ass bandana. This only looks like a footnote in my report concerning the party. Trill stands for what is truly real, though it may be hidden in the houses just over the hills between us, by the hands on the bars between us, by anyone who hopes to rule without reflection. That picture of my grandmother with my uncle when he was a baby is not trill. What it is, is the feeling, felt, seeing garbage men drift along the pre-dawn avenues. A sloppy, slow rain taking its time to the coast. Milk toast is not trill, nor is bouillabaisse. Bakushan is Japanese for a woman who is beautiful only when viewed from behind. Like I was saying, my motto is never mistake what it looks like for what it is, else you end up like that Negro, Othello. Was Othello a Negro? Don't you lie about who you are sometimes and then realize the lie is true? Offstage, Iago said what I have been trying to say. Yes, all liars are cowards, but we all have a little coward in us. You are blind to your power like the king who wanders his kingdom searching for the king. And that's okay. No one will tell you, you are the king. No one really wants a king anyway. Uh, So some of them are strange. Don't ask me no questions about the poems. How about that? Other questions are fun. This one's strange too, the deer. I guess the only thing I will ask you about this one is our muscadine in Vermont. Do you you guys know what the muscadine is? It's like a little berry. I grew up in the South and so And it's sort of in the poem. It's just a little berry that grows along the road. You can eat it. You can make muscadine wine. Everybody heard of muscadine wine? No. Um, So, you know, I have to ask people if they know. So that's all. It's just a little, a little speckled berry. The deer. And Pataskala is a place in uh, New Jersey. I was writing a bunch of poems kind of about place, like kind of map places. And I actually have one in here because we were talking about New Jersey that I'll read. But... This one started as that, so it's, it's, the title could have been like Ohio poem, but at the end I just thought, oh, I'll call it The Deer, but it is in Ohio and Pataskala is a town in Ohio. Outside Pataskala, I saw the deer with a soft white belly, the deer with two eyes as blind as holes, and I saw, and I saw it leap from a bush beside the highway, as if a moment before it leapt, it had been a bush beside the highway. And saw how, if I wished it, I could be the deer, a creature bony as a branch in spring. And when I closed my eyes, I found the scent of muscadine, the berry my mother plucked Sundays from the roadside where fumes toughened its speckled skin and, sleet and seeds slept suspended in a mucus thick as the sleep of an embryo. It is the ugliest berry along the road. But chewed, it reminded me of speed. And I saw, when I was the deer, that I didn't have to be a deer. I could become a machine with a woman inside it. Moving at a speed that leaves a stain on the breeze and on the muscadine's flesh, which is almost meat, the sweet pulp a muscadine leaves when it's crushed in the teeth of a deer or a mother for that matter or her child waiting with something like shame to be fed a berry uglier than shame. Though it is not like this for the deer, it is not shame because the deer is not human. It is only almost human when it looks on the road and leaps covering at least 30 feet in a blink. The deer I cannot be. The dumb deer. Dumb and foolish enough to ignore anything that runs but is not alive. A trafficking machine filled with a distracted mind and body, deadly and durable enough to deconstruct a deer. When it leaps, I'm telling you, like someone being chased. I remember a friend told me how, when he was eight or nine, a half-naked woman ran to the car window, crying her man was after her with a knife. But his mother locked the doors and sped away. Someone tell him his mother was not a coward. That's what he thinks. Tell him it was because he and his brother were in the car, she would not let the troubled world inside. It was no one's fault. The mind separated from the body. I could almost see the holes of her eyes, the white fuzz on her tongue, the raised bud soft as a bed of pink seeds, the hole of a mouth stretched wide enough to hold a whole baby inside. I could almost see its eyes at the back of her throat. I could definitely hear its cries. Uh, So the question is, you know, when you're putting a manuscript together, do you really want to give people the completely nut stuff up front, or do you want to ease them into, you know, poems? And that that remains a question. That question has not been answered yet. Um, So like this, this is up front too. And this, although it's in the front, it's a pretty early poem. Um, I mean, a pretty recent poem, like from the fall. I usually work on these poems like, you know, uh, a year, you know, half a year. So to say that this thing, you know, sort of came out around the fall is to say it's new. There's not that much to say about it. Uh, you know, my references are all over the place, is what I would say. So in here, there's a reference to this Atlanta rap group called uh, UGK. That you know, I, I want to spec. Even people in Atlanta don't really know who they are, but they have this song. Although they have the guys from Outkast in one of the, this song. So I'm going to give you the setup Uh, because it, too, is a little bit crazy. Um, So they have this song called International Players Anthem, and it's really a great song, except for the lyrics. (laughs) And uh, I have like a half-brother, two half-brothers, maybe more. And so, you know, I met them once. And so that's sort of in the poem, um, but when I was Googling him in around, I guess that was maybe September, this one came out like in about a month or so, uh, I just put his name and he's got a really strange name and this came up. So I guess that's saying like, you can tell sort of the first two poems are kind of like all in my head, mostly, even though I did go to my grandmother's birthday party and somebody gave her a King's African outfit. And I was like, anyway, that's another story. So I was like, <laughs> you're wearing a, that's not for women. Anyway, but well, whatever. So that's, that, that was in there. But this one is pretty much uh, what it is. Ass traffic. Ass traffic sounds like the hook in a chart topper, a wrapper mouths squatting like a gilded animal in the middle of a bustling boulevard of bumpers and bumping bikini rumps, chains, chains, chains. But it is meant to conjure my half-brother And the girls, the news says he kidnapped or persuaded with knuckles before the police rushed in, knocking him like a lover no longer loved to the motel floor. His long arm chained to a cell now was chained to a cell phone the one time I met him. He called me brother and said our father had more children like us all over town while you, GK's international player's anthem, I choose you, my bitch a choosy lover, never fuck without a rubber, bumped in the background. Foolishly, I did not think the worst of the music I adore had anything to do with having power over anyone else. The naked women as bountiful as traffic, the half-naked men who cannot grow stiff without looking at reflections of themselves, while the camera glares an inch from their genitals, might have wanted before porn simply to play hardcore like the hardcore rappers paid to be wrapped in chains of rhyme and the arms of women working for men who want to fill the soft pockets of everything with something of themselves. The camera followed my brother into the courtroom looking like a sad animal, a stray sheepdog and pit bull mix hit by a distracted trucker asking something of someone at the end of his cell phone an hour before the police lights swelled over the girls my brother trafficked miles for money and taxed for gas back home and the protection he offered them from belligerent Johns and when called for protection from himself before the judge denied bail, the ruling was on the news. Columbia man charged with human sex trafficking He will live in a cell with the beautiful solitude chained about his throat, growing over time as permanent and illegible as what has been scratched tooth and nail into the cells. The music I have been playing all my life is about pimps and who will be pimped. But when my daughter is listening, I play something else. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, there's not anything to say about that one. So, yeah, I mean, I almost want to take to look it up. My bitch, a choosy lover, never fuck without a rubber. It's like, yeah. And then you're like, wait a minute. So, wait a minute. So I just thought, this fool heard that song and thought that's what he's supposed to do, be a pimp. All right. um, Wig Frastic. So I do have a bunch of poems that are in conversation with art, is what I would say. Um, The book is called How to Be Drawn. So let's see, what would I, would I read this one to you? This one was really crazy. You thought that stuff was crazy. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Some of them are like big poems and I think I have two longer poems. So this is one of them. So it's called Wig Frastic and it's after this artist, uh, Ellen Gallagher. She does a bunch of stuff, but for a long time, what she was really obsessed with were wigs. And so they kind of have like a, in her images, kind of play-doh on top of photographic images. Some people are nodding their heads, So. Uh, This is called Wig Frastic. Sometimes I want a built-in scalp that looks and feels like skin, a form of camouflage, protection against sunburn and frostbite, horse hair that covers the nightmares and makes me civilized. Somebody slap a powdered wig on me so I can hammer a couple sentences like Louis XIV, small and bald as a boiled egg, making himself taller by means of a towering hairpiece resembling a Corinthian column, or maybe a skyscraping kid with no play wig worn by someone playing NWA at a penthouse party with no black people. We up in the club humming, "Mm mm-mm, hey mama, and our numb skull caps underscore the brain's captivity. Somebody slap me. Norman Mailer's essay, The White Negro Superficial Reflections on the Hipster, never actually uses the word wigger. I'd rather say whack. It may be fruitful to consider me a philosophical psychopath. We clubbing in our wigs of pleas and pathological coulda, woulda, shouldas, oblong with longing. The ladies wear wigs of knots, knots of knots, do nots, cannots. Wigs dipped in dye swirling on their scalps, off their scalps, side of scalps, their center parts and irrigated plaits. Flirty bangs dangle below a bow clip of sparkle. A lady, a lady places her bow about face to place her face in place, which is a placebo of place. Her face is a placebo. Let's wear ready-made wigs, custom-made wigs, hand-tied wigs, and machine-made wigs. No Negro can saunter down a street with any real certainty that violence will not visit him," wrote Mailer. Bullets shout through the darkness. Dumb people are dangerous. Calamity pimps come out of the woodwork and start to paddle their canoes. This was a white dude's response to the death of Martin. Later, let's beat that apathy wig right off You wear the shark head wig, and I'll wear the wig of tide water rising to the ceilings. You wear the buckaroo wig, and I'll wear the wig of tumbleweed. When anyone says, you look beautiful, reply, I feel beautiful, like the beautiful shoulder-length locks shorn from a cancer-stuffed bride in need of money. Let's get higher than God tonight, like the military wives of imperial Rome, smiling in the blonde and red-headed wigs cut from the scalps of enemy captives. Somebody slap me. We are washed in liquor, watching the coils curl, curls coil, coils coil, curls curl on the girls. Non slip polyurethane patches, super fine lace, Isis wigs, Cleopatra wigs, big booty Judy wigs, under the soft radar streaked music of climax singing, the men all pause when I walk into the room. The men all pause, animals, the men all fangles, the men all woof woofs and a little bit lost, lust, lustrous, trustless, restless as the rest of us. In my life, the wigs eat me. The wish to live a while on the mind of another human, it is not inhuman. The wish to slide for a while inside another human, it is not inhuman. If you like like, like I like like, you should wear a hairpiece. It is peace of mind, it is artistic, it is a lightweight likeness, comfortable wash and wear, virtually looking and feeling with virtually no side effects. Let me hear you say this wig is terrific. A colored despair wig for your colored despair An economic despair wig, a sexual despair wig, a wig for expressive despair, political despair, a movable halo. New and improved, your wig can be set upon the older wig, just as the older wig was set when it was newer upon the wig beneath it. Where's your wig? Wear your wig. Your wig is terrific. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, thank you. So happy doing the time here. this one is a concept of survival, which is uh, like a series of, well, there's a bunch of lines. Actually, maybe, the, I don't even know if that's actually the title of this work by this conceptual artist, uh, Jenny Holzer. So one of these phrases, uh, and she sort of mostly works in text and kind of lists, is uh, protecting me from what I want. So I, I just saw that in her work, and uh, I sort of use that for this poem. So it's called The Concept of Survival. It was a good enough request at first, written on prophylactic packages, protect me from what I want. The shy jeans exploding just outside the late streetlights and later in other quarters. It was found stamped inside all the Midwestern Bibles, protect me from what I want. Not just in hotels where sometimes the condoms were sheathed and unsheathed, but in the pews and desks of churches and churchgoers, in nursing homes where the aged lived long enough to find pain shameless. My grandmother's uncle jumped naked on his bed the last time we visited him. Our mood was baffled and ugly. Protect me from what I want appeared on neon signs and banners. It was typed on the ticker tape strips buried in fortune cookies, so that opening one after my meal, I looked over my shoulder to a vanishing waitress. I was told her shift was done. I'd fallen, I'd fallen in love with her as I always fall for anyone taking my order. Fortune cookie, what is trapped in you will always explode quietly. Protect me from what I want, to be thoroughly drunk and immune to hunger to dream a means of survival, a bubble of luck. Milk pours from the pastoral holes in the body or blood when you are beaten tender in the woods. I want to feel the trees around me. I want you to smell the leaves on my breath. Protect me from what I want. Paranoia is a form of intuition. It carries a flashlight and never sits with its back to an exit. The water always threatens to come indoors. I want to enter someone else's hide and hide. I want to sleep enough to never need sleep anymore. Too many years have passed since I went dancing. Since I cried publicly or was so small, my mother could lift me with her one free arm from the floor. Thank you, thank you. That's encouraging. Let's see, just a few more, I guess. I did have one long one in here, but I just don't, uh, I, don't I don't think I'm going to do that one. So let's just bounce around a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know if I should end on this one, so I'll, I'll read this one now. So this one, uh, is actually, it's the last poem I wrote, that, you know, for the book. And so the title of it is Ars Poetica for the ones like us. And so I thought I could just put it in the notes where, for the ones like us comes from, it's Leonard Cohen and Chelsea Hotel. So he has this line, if you know that song, about Janis Joplin. And clenching your fists for the ones like us who are oppressed by the figures of beauty, you fixed yourself and said, well, never mind, we are ugly, but we have the music. So he's sort of saying that. So I thought, awesome, just to even have that in a poem was like my whole goal. But then I sent it to my editor and he was like, you know how much Leonard Cohen causes to... uh, charges to use his lyrics. <sighs> so he's like, you can't use that. That's like $4,000 to use those four lines. And so I'm like, he's a poet. I can't believe he wouldn't, you know, but he will, he'll, he'll, he'll charge you. So um, so I decided oh, I'll just say it. I'll just tell people when I read the poem. Because uh, I said, can I put it in the notes? What if it's not in the poem? He was like, no, anything. So I'm like, all right. So, uh, so I think it's still in there. Ars poetica for the ones like us. So, uh, like these previous poems, I'll say this about the poem, which also ultimately isn't in it, even though I say, like, it's after Mark Rothko. It started as a poem trying to write about, like, a painting as a kind of window and thinking about, like, what is that light coming through a Rothko painting that is almost like some, I mean, it's not a new idea, but I was trying to write towards that idea. And then, you know, it sort of got buried in the last part of the poem, but... I think I still would say it's after Mark Rothko just because, you know, I couldn't have got there without that initial image. Ours Poetica for the ones like us. I like the story about the man who talks God into letting him live until he, until he has done his masterwork. In some versions, he is a painter. But in this one, he is a singer who then sings every sentence, whose song becomes a poem that does not end because it is is eternally revised. Who can say whether Orpheus, when he found honey in other hives, did not sing to let the devil know his body was alive? He was the first to grieve years in advance the news of his own death. At the wake, I explained that the poem could be thought of as a house. A bedroom where a boy undresses before a slightly older girl and vanishes inside her garment. A basement where the furnace and pipes hide what fevers the floors. An attic where aesthetic and spiritual innuendos float. If I could have stepped out of the poem, my feet would have remained four or five inches above ground because the ground was covered and four or five inches of snow. It is breath that makes the tragic endurable. It is earth that provides our basis for being rooted to ourselves. It is evening that lets us for an instant be possessed by someone else. I believed, for example, that I was in control. The girl, I think her name was Yuri, told me the poem would want the windows closed. I tried drawing her face to my face so that her face could be described. From inside the poem, I was asked to map the world outside and the adventure to unfold. I looked at the window, but could not see through the window because it resembled an abstract painting, a veil colored by silence and shadows. Some things in this world do not depend on speech to be felt. Remember, too, that the eyes are not flesh, that crisis is initiated by the absence of witness, that Orpheus, in time, became nothing but a lying-ass song sung for the woman he failed. Uh, Let's see here. Thank you, thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, So I, I am going to try this one, too, although, I don't know what to say about this one either. This is another like, you know, yeah, we'll do two more and then we'll be done. Um, New Jersey poem. So, I mean, I would have to read, like I have a New York poem and a Detroit poem and you know, just interesting places. Um, Huh? You wanna hear the New York one too? Is that what you said? Okay. Uh, Well, maybe I can end on a New York poem then. Uh, Yeah, how about that? Okay, two more still, even though we got requests. I'll end on a New York poem. I hate to put, make them compare, you know, compare them, though, because the implication is that, oh, yeah, and which one is better. But that's not what you should do. They're very different. They're very different poems. So this one, again, is after this artist, uh, Willie Cole, who's from New Jersey and lives in New Jersey, and he has this really strange uh, sculpture made of matches. Do people know this? You know, Willie, and it's called Malcolm's Chickens or something. So, um... Yeah, I mean, I think everything's in the poem. It's about, like, the people I know named Willie in New Jersey. It's sort of the starting place for it. So, New Jersey poem. One of the many Willies I know wants me to know that there are still bits of hopefulness being made in certain quarters of New Jersey. It's happening elsewhere, too, obviously, this Willie would say. But have you seen the pants sagging like the skin of a famished elephant and the glassy stupor of counselors in the consultation rooms, the trash bins of vendettas and prescriptions. Have you seen the riot gear? What beyond hope could be a weapon against all that? The summer, I drove six hours and some change to Willie's place. I found him building a huge chicken out of brooms, wax, marbles for eyes, styrofoam, and hundreds of matchsticks. But what I remember is the vague sorrow creasing his face like it wasn't a chicken at all at hand, like he'd never even seen a chicken in New Jersey or a feather or drumstick, which I know to be untrue. A man can be so overwhelmed it becomes a mode of being, a flavor indistinguishable from spit. He hadn't done shit with the letters and poems his wife left behind when she killed herself. I think she was running. I think she was being chased. She was almost floating below ground now. The grave is filled with flood water. The roots of trees men planted after destroying the trees shoot through her hips. Nowadays, when I want salt water, taffy, or some of those flimsy plastic hooks good for hanging almost nothing, I do not go to New Jersey. And I'm sure no one there misses me with all the afflictions they have to attend. (laughs) Grief will boil your eyes if you let it. It is possible to figure too much, to look too much, to be too verbal, so pig-headed nothing gets done. In those days, that particular Willie denied he was ever lonely in New Jersey. His head, he said, was flushed with snowfall, a blacksmith's handcrafted tools, and a button pressed the right way, and a button that pressed the right way played a song, a kind of chain gang duo to which I said, bullshit. Willie, really, that's bullshit. You stink like a heartbroken man. I wanted to ask if he'd ever read the letters his wife left. Somehow we made it from Atlantic City to the VFW bar in Trenton without losing ourselves. I drove us through a pre-storm breeze and the sickish street lamp twilight until there was rain on the windshield and voices dispensing threefold news of what might happen what does happen and why whatever happened did. The soul's traffic. Somehow we weathered all that. The chicken is in a museum somewhere now, worth more than God. And so much time has passed, I can't be sure which Willie made it. That night we had some of its smell on our fingers, but the men we found in the bar's humiliating darkness still invited us in. So I know that's a little weird. Uh they're all weird, what can I tell you? That's the definition of poetry. Um so okay, yeah, I'll end on this New York poem without trying to put too much pressure on either poem in terms of like what am I s what am I saying about places? Um And I don't think there's anything you need to know about this one. Um Yeah. There's none. Oh, you know, I I guess I'll tell you this. You know, this is, uh, like that poem, the only thing that I've done in the other poem is, uh, well, I I say this first. You know, I'm going to say something before I say something, which is I always, like, distinguish the poems that are sort of rooted in the truth because most of them are not. Most of them just sort of have a little seed of the truth and then they, or seed of fact, and then they grow into something truer than fact, is what I would say, which is to say they all come from a, a true place. But I'm always tickled by poems that are, like, mostly fact, because they become, when I look at them, as I stand here and I read, I just, I'm back in the place that started the poem, which doesn't happen again if it's a poem that sort of gets on the imaginative train. So here, uh, I always look at this poem and I think about like where this thing came from, which was this rooftop party. Uh, and it's, a, it's an interesting place to end because the R in this poem, I, I don't say his name, um, he's in the he's a person in the deer poem who tells me this story of his mother Not rescuing this woman. And I'm like, she, you know, anyway, so so he shows up, you know, but no one would ever know that. But I didn't tell him, you know, we went to the party. I'm just, I'm gonna give you a story since this is the last poem. Went to this party and he proceeded like five minutes as soon as we got in to try to pick up every woman that was available or some who weren't available in the party. So I sat on the couch. And, you know, the time sort of ticked on by and I kept thinking, are we going to leave, you know, and then I thought being a good friend. Well, you know, if he gets lucky, that'll be fine. And so at the end of the night, he did not get lucky. And so at six o'clock, we were the last two people to leave. I was really mad. I had fallen asleep on the couch while he, you know, and uh, and it was a it was like a New York, it was like a hip New York party. So it was crowded and people were like having fun. So anyway. So then he said, you know, in the cab ride home, man, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry I abandoned you. In fact, the thing that I don't say, which is in the poem, actually, you would never know this, this thing about vanity. I'm so vain, I can't believe anybody's threatened by me. But every time someone tried to talk to me at the party, he would show up and be like, don't talk to him, don't talk to him. So, and I was like, what's that all about, you know? Anyway, so he, you know, so, you know, he's very competitive. But I didn't say anything to him. I didn't say, you know, I'll never be your friend. That was really fucked up. I just said, hey, you know, I don't even remember what happened. I was so drunk, I said to him. So then we never talked about it again. But then I wrote this poem. (laughs) This is the problem about having friends as poets. And then since it was a New York poem, I said, oh, I'll send it to the New Yorker. He lives in Brooklyn. And so I was like, I'll send it to the New Yorker. And so I sent it to the New Yorker. And then they published it. And then uh, his wife, which is the last thing you tell, saw the poem. And he says to me, man, that poem ruined my marriage. (laughs) And I say, your marriage was already ruined, man. Anyway, so, all right. Uh, And it didn't really ruin it. I said, "R," and it's just like a glimpse, like the backstory of his. That's that's not even what the poem is about. But again, when I look at certain poems, um, you know, things are are going on underneath the poem. So I wanted to share that with you. All right, uh, New York poem. This is the last one. In New York from a rooftop in Chinatown, one can see the sci-fi bridges and aisles of buildings where there are more miles of shortcuts and alternative takes than there are Miles Davis alternative takes. There is a white girl who looks hijacked with feeling in her glittering jacket and her boots that look made of dinosaur skin, and R is saying to her, I love you, I love you, again, and again. On a Chinatown rooftop in New York, anything can happen. Someone says, abattoir is such a pretty word for slaughterhouse. Someone says, mermaids are just fish ladies. I am so fucking vain that I cannot believe anyone is threatened by me. In New York, not everyone is forgiven. Dear New York, dear girl with the barcode tattooed on the side of your face and everyone writing poems about and inside and outside the subways dear people underground in new york on the sci-fi bridges and aisles of new york on the rooftops of chinatown where miles davis is pumping in and someone is telling me about contronyms how cleave and cleave are the same word looking in opposite directions. I now know bolt is to lock and bolt is to run away. That's how I think of New York. Someone jonesing for Grace Jones at the party and someone jonesing for Grace. All right, y'all, thanks. I assume there's no questions.